<laughs> it did it again to me, that view. There we go. All right. Hey, Larice. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm fantastic. Good. How are you, good. Denise? I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. I don't know what to do right now. I'm so excited because yeah. my wife is here and so Larissa is here, and, here and I'm stoked. Uh, this is cool. Uh, new little little bit of a new new thing here we're trying out. So, well, hey, good morning, everybody. This is Real Live Talk. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let's see. This is episode number 11, and uh, my yeah. wife and I were here today with Pastor Larissa Baywee, and uh, Larissa pastors alongside her husband Peter at Crossover Church in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, Larissa is a pastor. She's also a chaplain, a businesswoman, a mother of four. She's a prophetic voice in this generation, and she has a unique yeah. perspective on life and ministry. So I'm really excited to be here with uh, Larissa today. So yeah, thanks. Thanks, Larissa. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate you. Yeah, awesome. No, it's good to be here. Awesome. Um, so we all go way back, just for context here, we all go, go way back way to, to Elam Bible <laughs> Institute. Yeah, yeah. College now, as they call it, days. And yeah, you well, guys like were like 12, super tight 13, back then, right? More, yeah. Yeah, yeah we were yeah. pretty close. Yeah, we live in Watson Hall, for sure. Uh -huh. Watson uh -huh. girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We live Nobody knows what that other. means, it's by the okay. way. But it's an inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> Sounds <yeah>. cool. <laughs> yep. And, um, uh, it's awesome how you, you know, like there's there's relationships that there you develop when you're in school and there's mm -hmm. relationships that, you know, stay there. And I mean, not to nobody's fault. It just they just are for that season. And then there's relationships that you carry along and, you know, you continue to grow together, even though you're in different places or you're doing different things. Yeah. And you just grow yeah. with those relationships. And Larissa is definitely one of those relationships. Um for us and for me, I'm grateful for her friendship and just, I know that if I need something, I can, you know, always call and I can, <laughs> I can reach out and be like, okay, so this is happening. We have some yeah. things in common, you know, we both are yeah, married yeah. to pastors, which mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's different when you're talking to somebody who's not married to somebody who serves in ministry, yeah. Yeah. have a different mm -hmm. perspective. Um, we both are married to, uh, I guess we could say we are in interracial marriages. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I married a, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to say. A white, a white boy? Or <laughs> were you, yeah. you were going to say something. Yeah, what's what's the right like, term? Well, yeah. I, 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 I believe the proper term is cracker. <laughs> no, stop it. No. So, yeah. And I think, I think there was a few times where we talked about that when we were in school. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like the difference, because I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. You know, uh, Louise is married to Peter, who's amazing, and he's actually from Sierra Leone, so mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. he's he's African. So mm -hmm. even though I guess we could say we can, you guys have a very similar melatonin color. Mm -hmm, you still mm -hmm. are from two different cultures. Different um, cultures, yeah, different, yeah. Different uh, countries, and mm -hmm. there's a whole enchilada that you have to. <laughs> process yeah. through that i'm sorry mexicans everything has to do with food <laughs> everything, everything 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 <laughs> has to do with food every every like idiomatic expression is either about like tortillas or avocados or something like that Tacos. like every yeah single one. I don't, I yeah it's, my, it's one of my favorite things <laughs> and denise yeah. likes to make up her own her own, ex own idiomatic expressions. expressions and they're always about food 
are always about food, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I, that yeah. is actually right, yeah. I love food. What can I say? I, I love know. tacos. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> it's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really awesome to um, to have seen you guys when we were in school. How yeah, you, yeah. you guys, your relationship grew and everything. And then, you know, fast forward uh, 10 years later, I don't know, like now we, you know, you guys have a an awesome ministry you both are serving the lord and mm-hmm. are, we have families of our own and yeah. it's awesome to see the process which you know god brings us through and everything and mm-hmm. i guess i do have a question for Louise. i don't know maybe I, i'll jump into the question yeah just pretend morning. like this is your podcast oh i'm sorry you know, so I'm no, just I'm just <laughs> wow <laughs> this is literally just the conversation this is not uh we're not grilling Larissa or anything. This is we're, we're just having <laughs> a, we're just having a, a laid back conversation. So go for it. When I was uh, thinking about it, I was like, I wonder, like, I wanted to hear like your perspective about, um, you know, we we all had kind of, I guess, like an idea when we were in school of what you know ministry and missions and um, you know serving God would look like or was, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously we were receiving training and different things and. As you look, you know, years later and you've actually have, I guess, experience in in doing it actually like hands on. How has that changed your perspective in terms of, you know, like missions and and church? Yeah. um, Well, I think that one thing that I've had to adjust to um, that was an expectation I had was the idea of full full time ministry. Um, like I just kind of thought we, we went to college for this. So when we're done, like, I'll just like, just get hired at a ministry and just be doing that, um, full time. So I, I had to really adjust my expectation that that wasn't the reality, um, at first, and it's still really not the reality and it, and it, and it may not be exactly what, what God has for us, um, wherein that our 40 hours a week are all spent at one ministry um, and that sustains our family. And so that used to be like a frustration and a disappointment to me, but I see where um, God used what you would call the tent making opportunities to also be part of the ministry. So I kind of see it like more of a holistic kind of thing Um, to be in vocational ministry um doesn't doesn't mean that you're just um have a ministerial title and you get paid for operating in that title but just a a more holistic kind of view wherein the other things that we do even if they're quote-unquote secular job or um you know other opportunities um see it in a more holistic sense um and that it's not I think as a mother also to really adjust my expectations too, and not see it like um, that, that the time that I can't spend in ministry that I, I want to, or choose to uh, spend with my family is not, um, it's not like God uses me in spite of not, uh, uh, in spite of uh, having to spend a big chunk of my time with my family, but it's not in spite of it, but it's because of that. Like that is, um, instead of kind of feeling like, Oh, I don't get to study all day. I don't get to read or write all day, which, um, you would think like, okay, that's what I should be doing as a pastor, but maybe God is forming me through 
all of the things that I do in the home as well. So I kind of just um, have taken a different a different viewpoint of ministry in that sense. Yeah, I, I think that applies, you know, I think even in terms of the marketplace, you know, you go into a career, or you prepare for something, but once you're actually in the field, you have to adjust, like you say, the expectations, you have to adjust to what it actually means to be in mm-hmm. that field. And mm-hmm. there's that trap to either get frustrated quickly or look at certain tasks as non-important or kind of like, oh, they're just consuming my time, they're in vain. But I love that mm-hmm. you say, you know, like, it actually, when you change your perspective and you realize that all of it is connected, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. There's not one task more important than the other. They actually uh-huh. all kind of like work alongside each other and they're actually yeah. all connected. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I remember, and, and that, um, I mean, when we moved to Mexico, we had opportunity to be in full-time ministry because of the mm-hmm. place where we were, you know. Um, we yeah. come in as missionaries there to a fully established church yeah. know, who had the wheels running, like everything was in place. And in that sense, it was easy to kind of come alongside and take care of whatever was required. And then when we moved to <laughs> back to the States, you know, yeah. like you said, we came in into an opportunity, like you mentioned, like the tent making. Right. Yeah, there's there's bills to pay over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. it just it was different. Yeah. Like you're no longer, you know, like completely care for the church. There's just different necessities, and mm-hmm. the need demands a different set of uh, adjustments. Yeah, you know, and that's it's interesting to navigate it. And I think mm-hmm. there's times where you can easily like get so frustrated and not realize that that there's opportunity in there for growth. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of grumble, you know, or you get frustrated and then your your eyes are more set in like, well, this is what I prepare for. I should be doing this. I should be reaching, Mm -hmm. you know, like stepping stones to, I don't know, the goal or the prize or whatever. And the balance, as you say, as well as family. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. it was like having to adjust all of it and i think also teaching your children you know because ultimately you're an example to them yeah i I remember in school like always thinking like i don't want my kids to resent me like i grew up around yeah you know like pastor's kids like missionary kids different Mm -hmm. things and one reoccurring theme would be a certain uh, sometimes an underlying tone of resentment i don't think it's intended you know yeah but yeah they feel like ministry is number one mm-hmm. instead of family or instead of their relationships or there's such a pressure on them to be a certain way because they are, yeah. you know, the pastor's <laughs> kid or the <laughs> How do your kids yeah. deal with that? Uh, I mean, I th- it, that's that's a big, a big cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things, kind of going back to your original question, um, I I think that I kind of like prior to coming here, uh, I think that I kind of like romanticized ministry a little bit. I think maybe mm-hmm. maybe we all do that to an extent, and and that's not to say that they didn't they didn't prepare us for you know real life. It's just that uh, you know I was thinking that mi- oh ministry is like preaching and mm-hmm. and ministry is teaching and ministry is that and of course that's a mm-hmm. part of ministry and that's like pro- I I love it I I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when I it, when I got well in Mexico too, but then when we got here, 
I really started to discover, okay, real ministry is like in the trenches with people. You know, yeah, ministry yeah. is not always pretty. A lot of times it's really, really messy and people have real issues and people have real problems. Yeah. And it's walking through that with people. And a lot of times it's one on one. You know, a lot of times yeah. like the ministry that's needed that, that somebody needs more than like in, in, a, in a moment. You know, I'm, I'm contextualizing this when it's it's not like here's my latest sermon. You know, it's uh <laughs> someone just going through hell someone going through some really serious stuff and kind yeah. of being being down in the trenches with that person and uh you know i discovered that that's a really really big part of ministry yeah and yeah. um it's uh like sort of adjusting sort of adjusting to that is yeah. is so it's such a big deal you know. Yeah. I know you, yeah. you guys went to to Africa for. I want to ask this question because I just realized, like, I don't know how your experience was in terms of my like what was said. You know, when we we got married, we went back to Mexico as missionaries, and I remember having to deal with this issue of they would look at Duke as he's the missionary, but because mm -hmm. I'm a national, I am mm -hmm. not a missionary. Yeah, like, yeah. You guys, I had to deal with that, like, in a, when you went back to Africa, or when you go back on, you know, the trips and you're serving there, like, because obviously you are an, um, an African-American. Yeah, yeah. Peter is a national. Like, how yeah. is the, the response to people? Because sometimes there's this, I guess, in missions, like, this mindset that, um, you know, I'm just going to say, it, like, white knows best. You know, like, in yeah, yeah. we get a lot of, uh, you know, American missionaries, and they're mm -hmm. they're amazing. I mean, I'm 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 grateful and I honor the work that they have done. But sometimes there's this misconception that an, a national could not be a missionary, you know, mm -hmm. or that mm -hmm. a missionary has to look in a certain way or behave sure. in a certain way. Um, sure. How did you guys did you guys have to face that? Yeah. So an interesting dynamic in Africa. Uh, Africa has a unique relationship with African-Americans, or we have a unique relationship with African. Um, uh, because in, in America, it tends to be, if you look like maybe you're not completely white, then you're assumed to be black or mixed. But then in Africa, it's quite the opposite. If you don't look 100% African, then it's assumed, then you're just called white. So it's, really? yeah, wow. so it's wow, like, a, so, white. so, if, yeah, so <laughs> if we, yes, all three of us. Wow. Yeah. And I, and, and I will point to someone like Duke and I'm like, so you guys think I'm white, like the same as this person. And they're like, yes. So wow. if you're not African, you're considered white and, and you see the same dynamic wherein, um, you know, because of, uh, um, imperialism, colonialism, um, mm -hmm. then whiteness is revered in some ways, um, wherein I experience like a certain amount of privilege because of that. And on, on principle, I reject that um, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's not healthy. Um, right. I mean, I see that in America, African-Americans can tend to do the same thing. So when I go to Africa and then they do it, but to me, I, I reject it on principle that, okay, this is really not a healthy dynamic for our people. Um, yeah. So we really purposely uh, support um, more of an indigenous uh, movement of Christianity yeah. uh, rather than a Eurocentric movement. Um, mm -hmm. So 
my husband being Sierra Leonean, um, I don't know that they uh, don't don't look to him as much because he's one of them, but I think he does get a little bit of privilege because he's been here um, and because of the, the experience that he comes with. Um, but then at, at the same time, um, we are purposeful to be relatable. Um, sometimes when people go back home, it's like they have something to prove uh, that when they went to America, they have this and that. And I'm like, these are the same people working the same yeah. nine to five as all the rest of us. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. when yeah. they go back home and act like they're they're they have people carrying their bags and people <laughs> like wiping they the sweat the off from them. And yeah. yeah. So so we're purposeful, especially um, the time we spent there with the kids. We're very purposeful to not let the kids or ourselves have any of those extra privileges. Um, and that has gone a long way, wherein there's been a lot of people notice it and say, man, you guys, you know, eat at the same places as us. You, yeah. you dress casually, you, you, you take public transportation. Um, so I think that's gone a long way. Not that they wouldn't receive our ministry. Otherwise yeah. they would, but on principle, I don't like the reason that they would receive it. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that yeah. people appreciate when you come into the culture and you learn the culture and you immerse yeah. yourself in the culture instead of just like, I don't know. Sometimes I think people don't realize that their actions or their behavior come through as more of like, I am all things to men. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's, we, we can't do that because we, do, if you don't know the culture, you can easily offend somebody with your good yeah. intentions. Good intentions yeah. are great. But you do yeah. have to know the culture. And like I loved um, when we, we took a mission trip and we took our kids. Elijah was, how old was he? Was he six? Around six, six years old? Yeah, and six or seven. Um, it was funny to me. And I think it was it was a great experience for him because obviously he he speaks like a little bit of Spanish. He understands a little bit. He can hear the words, but he's not fluent in it, you know. So mm -hmm. other kids will come, and they'll see him, and they wouldn't see a difference, you know, mm -hmm. outside in terms of, mm -hmm. like, he looks any different than me. Mm -hmm. And he realized early in the trip, like, if I want to connect with them, I'm already missing one thing. I need to be able to speak their language, you know. Mm -hmm. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I just love how awesome it is that, you know, in a few minutes of just like playing with, with, with the other kids, like that small barrier that might seem big kind of yeah. disappears too. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think it's important to, to teach your kids like culture and, and be like culturally aware, no matter where mm -hmm. you are, like, even if it's in the same country, because you might not look the same that the neighbor right next door. You know, mm -hmm. um, even within the same country, you know, like sometimes I think I guess that racial issue here in America could be very obvious or the thought of us versus them in terms mm -hmm. of color. But sometimes you experience the same thing within a country, even if the color of the skin is the same, but you see it from the social economical perspective. Mm. Sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, so like, do you find being there do you do you find that did most people when like you just got back from a tr uh trip to africa and you've mm -hmm. been there for extended periods of time um mm -hmm. 
but do you do you find that like so when people just look at you do they know do they, do, do they think that you're white <laughs> uh, yeah. or do they do they know just by looking at you or do they is it take for them to get into a conversation with you hear you talk a little bit or is it pretty much immediate they just they know that it's pretty much immediate i think it's not purely just the features but it's um also just yeah i mean you you know foreigners like you can stuff. yeah mannerisms <laughs> uh the the way you dress and and things like that so so for me personally especially because we um already pastor uh, a church of african people then i um and not and this has been an extended it's not a mission trip for me this is like my right. yeah. my long-term ministry yeah. so i have to i've walked that fine line wherein i want to be cultural culturally re relevant and i um and i work on the language and i relate to people in terms they understand but i can't completely lose myself so um, I wear African clothes when I feel like it, but if I feel like wearing American clothes and it's appropriate, then I do. So mm -hmm. I don't completely want to just disappear into it, especially right. um, when it's when it's something that I've been so deep in the culture uh, over here, then I ha I've just had to learn where I have to draw those boundaries. So I'm not like, uh, my goal is not really, balance. yeah, yeah, my goal is not really to to blend in that they can't figure it out, but to, to, uh, to still, uh, be able to communicate properly and relate and fully understand. I think that's the main thing, fully understanding the culture enough to be able to teach and preach and, um, uh, interpret the Bible in light of their culture, not just in light of my culture is really my goal. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, tell can we just talk a little bit about this uh, past trip that you just took to Africa and what were you there for? Was it um... so? So we did uh, we did do a wedding um, for for the first week of the trip. So one of our associate pastors at the church here uh, went and got married. The bride was over there, so we did awesome. uh, go with him and do the wedding, which was awesome. And then our next task um, was for our fellowship because our church um, has a covering and we're under a small fellowship. And um, we decided to build um, the African headquarters of our fellowship um, in, in Sierra Leone. So our task was to look for the land, work on the paperwork and the documentation and wow. kind of um, break ground on that. On that project so we we were running all over the country and uh finally found a beautiful piece of land to start to break ground and, and build the headquarters office and uh and living quarters for when our bishop comes and other missionaries yeah. come and an office for if there's um uh pastors on the ground or uh district elders on the ground um that, that's mm. that's what so that was the main uh, task that we had for this trip it was pretty a pretty short trip so yeah that's awesome no it sounds like you must have been really busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah sounds like a lot yeah everybody thought that's pretty to ambitious to to try yeah. to do it uh in a short amount of time but but god did it for us so, so we got we got what we needed that's awesome what part of sierra leone is it are you in a city or more of a rural area yeah yeah we're so we're in the city um that's where that's where we're at least starting, uh, where we were kind of uh, based when we were there for an extended amount of time. Uh, so we'll be right right in the city. Um, and then our, our goal is to eventually have 
uh, churches and a presence in, in uh, most, if not all of the districts. Um, so, but we're starting in the city. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. On the coast, right? Pretty yeah, much. yeah. Sierra Leone is on the West Coast. So, in fact, the land we got is just right by the beach. Um, oh, so, the awesome. land is just, yeah, the land is just <laughs> 10 minutes drive from my favorite beach because um, oh, there's wow. several. Yeah, there's several be that's beautiful awesome. beaches. So, it's really close by there. So, that's going to be nice. What what would you say are some of like the common misconceptions that Americans yeah. have about <laughs> about Africa? Because like, so I remember being at Elam and people would oh, think gosh. that Denise was like riding on donkeys all day in Mexico, and yeah. it was like it was very infuriated. Uh, hardly electricity say. and dirt yeah. roads and stuff like that. Like, people Just don't, being in, don't in real, Mexico. Realize like how ignorant they sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> say it yeah. nicely. <laughs> And, yeah. it, and again, like I had a hard time. Sometimes. Well, if you've never been, if you've never gone, you I know, you see well, most people, movies, you know, whatever honest, your experience people, is limited and you just have stupid <laughs> ideas. But just know like the touristy, you know, areas sure, or understanding sure. of like Mexico or I guess the cartoons like Speedy Gonzalez and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I guess it's hard for them to actually <laughs> form an informed opinion about things, so they make I, assumptions about certain things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the same about you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you definitely hear those things were just uh, assumption about the, um, like the prim a primitive setting um, but I think the ones that, which I'm like, okay, you find that everywhere, you know, you're going to find hunger and, and poverty sure. and things everywhere. But I think the, the ones that bother me the most is like the assumptions about values and just like, mm -hmm. oh, people like almost like underestimating the people and, and yeah. kind of thinking yeah. like they're, they're, they don't think as deeply as we do, or they don't feel as deeply as we do. Wow. Um, are the ones that bother me the most that I'm like, you know, this is their tradition an and yeah, like, um, the w one interesting thing that we have to navigate as like a cross-cultural ministry is, um, things like traditions that, that mm -hmm. I had to look at myself and say, wait, is this biblical or is this just an American <laughs> tradition? Yes, yes. Like, uh, like weddings are quite different yeah. in Africa. Uh -huh. Um, and, it, and I was almost taught like that was a biblical wedding, the typical right. American wedding, the <laughs> vows and African weddings, the, the bride and groom don't even have to be there, um, for, for African weddings. It's Wait, really traditional. Really? Yeah. Traditional oh. African weddings. It's not about the bride and the groom. It's a, it's an agreement the between family? the families. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So I've been to ones where one or both parties are not even there. Like, where if, if they're here, if the bride and groom live here and their families live yeah. overseas, wow. then they they make the arrangement for their family to go do the wedding on their behalf. Wow. And then they'll come and tell me, hey, we're married now. <laughs> like our families agreed and we're married. So By the way. <laughs> yeah. So like um, in trying, try to explain that to an American and especially yeah. like an evangelical to try to say, well, that's not biblical. That's I'm like, where in the Bible Why does it Bible? give right. you the wedding vows? <laughs> like, right. where yeah. in the Bible does it say you have to wear a white dress and that your father has yeah. to walk you down the aisle? And so, so sometimes things like that, I'm like, you're not even, you didn't even ask why they do that or what the principle is behind it or yeah. where that yeah. came from. And yeah, 
So those kind of things. <laughs> we had to navigate a little bit of that when we got married because obviously, you know, like like you said, in whatever uh, culture or country you, you're born, like you're used to seeing certain things and you just kind of grow with this mindset of like, oh, that's how it should be done or that's how, mm -hmm. how it is. And you don't stop to question like, but why or where does it say it, you know? Yeah. And, um, when we were trying, like, you know, figured out like, what are we doing with our wedding? Like, definitely like, I mean, Mexican weddings, they're beautiful, but they're sometimes mm -hmm. like a, a little too one symbols in it that you're like, well, what does this mean? Okay, maybe that is, this one is important. Maybe right, this one is right. not. And it's just, like you say, it's just mixed all with, like, between principles or things mm -hmm. that you do see in the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. and then just the culture and just things that for them are mm -hmm. important, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Like, so tradition gets mixed in a little bit with it. Um, so that's, that's very interesting. <laughs> they actually just changed the law here in Alabama that, like, anybody can pretty much sign off as a witness on your marriage certificate. Wow. So you don't even need like a, a minister anymore. Minister. Um, oh, really? So, wow. yeah, like anybody can serve as a witness. Interesting. <laughs> I just yeah. feel like, yep, these two got married. I'm yeah. signing. And you see like in Mexico. <laughs> That's made me kind of qu yeah, think about this a lot lately, yeah. actually, because I'm like, okay, so this whole concept of the way that we do weddings in America, because I had to say, I mean, I, I didn't even, I guess I never really gave it a lot of thought, but I just assumed, yeah, that's the way you, you got to do it. You need a minister yeah. in order for it to be before the Lord. Like it yeah. has to yeah. be, you know, like this. And, and uh, anyway, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, like in Mexico, you know, you, you have to go before the court, but you're not married until, you know, you're, I mean, you're legally married, but a lot of people yeah. believe like, oh, you're not married until mm. you actually, you know, do it in the church or you get married by whether it's a priest or a pastor. Like, I know my parents, I'm going to put my parents under the bus here, but when they, they, they went to the court and they registered and I think they were, they were married for like three months before their ceremony their ceremony and, yeah you know and for them like they still you know because they didn't want to you know appearances or whatever they still kept you know like they stand separate houses and stuff like that because that's also like another taboo you know it's like well it's your, right, mar your yeah. marriage is not blessed until you know the priest yeah like, so you go to the church yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what what are some other things that you found i mean you mentioned wedding yeah, no, I mean, uh, the church culture is often criticized, um, mm. and, and it takes a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge to know yeah. um, what is biblical, what is not yeah. biblical uh, for a culture that you are uh, not a native from. So, um, I, you know, I've had people even visit the church here and, and then criticize, like, why do they say this phrase or that phrase? And Sometimes you see YouTube videos like, should we be saying this? And I'm like, that doesn't even mean the same thing in their vernacular as you think it means. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so yeah, so th those things can be frustrating. And, and I just... Yeah. Um, Sometimes I guess we like our traditions more than, mm -hmm. or we value tradition more than we value actually the understanding of it. And I think that the reason sometimes that I, I mean... I guess you can't really like pinpoint finger say like this person's uh, you know at fault for it, but I think like in general we all are responsible to some extent on mm -hmm. it. Like you know like whether the leadership is putting more tradition or more uh, more importance on tradition than onto other things. Like um, 
I know like in our church, like for example, um, pastor's anniversaries, you know, or things like that, like certain celebrations, like we, we, we're always when, with the team, we always talk about this, like, is this something that is like, just because people, you know, have seen it done and they think that it should be done, or is it actually mm-hmm. something that is bringing value and is actually representing, you know, Christ? Because if and that's you're a good not e- careful, yeah. you'll mm-hmm. just end up making, you know, a bunch of different holidays for the church. <laughs> and that and that's a good example because, um, like, that's something that really is um, like an African American church mm-hmm. tradition you know, and has, and has value to us, but then somebody could say, uh, you guys are doing too much for the pastor or like, it's just a man or whatever. And that's just like a way, a different way that African-Americans are used to expressing love. So it's like a little bit easier if somebody's part of the culture that they can say where maybe people are crossing the line or where maybe something needs to be changed. So I try to really remain humble because I have my own culture too and my own biases. So I try not to, if I'm like, I mean, the church, African churches have traditions. They have things that despite denomination, most African churches, you'll see them doing Mm -hmm. and they're foreign to us. And to, to somebody outside, you might say, why, why is that? Like, it's just as, as normal to them as our Christmas Eve service or as whatever, you know, is a normal tradition to us. And and to an outsider, you might think like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's just a, a random thing. It doesn't, it's not in the Bible. I'm like, well, half the stuff we're doing is not in the Bible, but is it against the Bible or is it right. in, in contradiction, uh, you know, and, and have you sought to find the value before you kind of just wow. dismissed it, you know, mm, so that, so that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. F- finding the value in, in other cultures and in the diversity and the, you know, the Bible actually talks about, like in heaven, talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation mm-hmm. being before the throne of God. And mm-hmm. so God, on, on some level, or maybe a complete level, I don't know, but we're going to be able to somehow hang on to that diversity, you know, yeah. for, mm-hmm. sounds like for eternity from the way that I read it, you know? Yeah. And, and so um, it's just that it's, it's such it's it's important to him if it's important to god it should be important to us you know yeah and i I think that we can make a you know we can go to a couple different extremes when we talk about ethnicity diversity race all these different things we can go to different extremes and obviously you know extremes are never good right yeah um and uh you know we should we should pay attention to those things that make us the same, but we should also mm-hmm. pay attention to those things that make us different and honor those yeah. things and not be okay. Mm-hmm. Like when people say things like, oh, well, I don't see color and people say things like, you know, stuff like that, offensive. like that's more, that yeah. that's more <laughs> offensive than, yeah. than anything yeah. else. Like there's no, like, w- like why not? Why, why shouldn't yeah. we recognize each other? Because mm-hmm. when we recognize th- our differences and, and those things that really make us u- unique, culturally unique, then mm-hmm. we can celebrate those things. And I just think yeah. that we have so much that we can, that we can glean from each other. Uh, this, is, this is a very specific example, but I recently heard about, like, um, what's it called? The uh, uh, CCLI licensing that, that churches use for, like, the, the songs that they use for worship services and things like that. Yeah. Like, uh, so, so, 
here in America, it is this the scales are very, very, very heavily tilted toward, you know, white male songwriters wow. are occupying the vast majority of the top 100 songs that yeah. are the, you know, the most widely played and, and stuff Listen. like that. Yeah. And, you know, I've just been thinking about this lately. It's like there is so much because, you know, people will take songs from America and translate them yeah, into, you know, different languages and use them all over the world. And they'll be just as popular in other countries as they are here many times. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't really see that going the other direction. At least yeah. I don't. You know, I've yet yeah. to see that really going in the, in the other direction. Um, we had to deal with that. And at, like at the, when we were working at the House of Prayer in Mexico, you know what I mean? Like there would be certain songs that like I grew up with that maybe not, you know, they're not American songs. They're just like sure. songs that were written in Mexico. You sure. Know? And yeah. sometimes, you know, people love those songs and stuff. And you're like, well, they don't they're not translated. You can't hear them. You can't find them anywhere else. Like, you know, and then you find other songs that you realize like, oh, OK, well, th I guess this is a universal song. Like, you know, they have it in all these different yeah. languages and yeah. that's good. But then, yeah. and then, and then, I mean, I mean, we've we've had this conversation about like there are songs that when you listen to them in their original language, they are yeah. they carry a certain power. They carry yeah, certain they're power. different. Like they yeah. move you, and then you hear them in a, in in a different language, and you're like, yeah, no, it's just not the same. Yeah, and yeah. Then there are songs yeah. that when you listen to them in the original language, aren't they're not as they don't feel as powerful. But then when they're translated to a certain mm -hmm. language and you hear mm -hmm. it it's just different and i think yeah. that there's like enrichment in that but at the same time like what i remember when he mentioned uh the whole statistics about that i was like that's crazy because the truth is that there are so many churches in different countries that have very creative minds like why are their songs not being heard you know why mm -hmm. is there not a like a deeper desire to yeah. because it's not like people are not writing songs trust yeah, me people yeah. are writing songs you know yeah, like yeah. if you go to maybe a smaller church and i think that that might be sometimes like the reason why those statistics are because we have you know mega churches or we have mm -hmm. ministries that are mm. big that kind of like take they look at those as that's the norm yeah and then yeah. you have smaller ministries and they don't they are very different than the mega church their culture mm -hmm. the, just their whole function like everything and i it's i think it's sad like i i love languages like i just love it. and i love when i can hear you know like different songs from different countries in their own language like yeah i, I may, maybe this just might be my like my personal thing because i you know i was raised to to embrace the difference in the culture like mm -hmm. just because somebody doesn't speak your language like instead of being afraid of that or like feel having a sense of like oh i have to protect myself like you know we're different yeah. you guys are over there and we are over here mm -hmm. no it, I, I was more drawn to it, you know. I mm -hmm. I was raised to like look at look at that. There's enrichment in that. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. I think I I hope that you know in the coming years that that changes that we will some way, <laughs> especially now with technology. 
you know, that we will yeah. celebrate those differences. Yeah. And is that not, I mean, one of the hallmarks of Christianity that you, um, it's supposed to be translated through every culture. That's why we even are allowed to translate the Bible. Um, you know, if you look at the other major religions like Islam, they don't translate the Quran and it's so, um, integrated with Arabic culture. Um, and, and even Judaism is, has a strong cultural component to it that you meet people who say they're Jews that don't even believe in God. <laughs> and what yeah. do they mean? They mean, they mean culturally I'm Jewish. Yeah. There's a strong cultural. Yeah. So the, the, in, but then in, in Galatians, you see that uh, very nav they're navigating that very issue in the church that like, okay, to be converted doesn't mean they have to culturally become like us. And you see the apostles mm. discerning what is culture and what is actually God's uh, yeah, spiritual good. requirements, you know? So that's, I think, where we see ourselves that we really want the churches that we have over there to still look and feel and be indigenous churches, not just duplicated um, of whatever we have going on over here. And the, one of the strong things in our fellowship is, is that principle um, that, that all of the churches in our fellowship uh, represent different cultures and, yeah. and we're really, really committed to that spiritual unity of the cultural diversity that's true. So people express um, themselves truly to God in their own culture. I think that's that's a right and a privilege that we have to enforce yes. in Christianity. And it's unfortunately, if, when you go to um, developing nations, it's unfortunate that a lot of the missionary legacy has been that uh, that was stifled um, to a lot of people. Um, so, yeah. so we really uh, want to support an indigenous movement where Christianity is not filtered through a European lens. Right. So good. Yeah, Could you just good. define that a little bit further for anybody that may not know uh, what you mean by that when you say indigenous churches? Yeah, so um, especially in Sierra Leone, where I've been doing some study of the landscape of Christianity, um, Sierra Leone uh, Christianity came there uh, through uh, repatriated individuals, uh, slaves, former slaves, and free blacks. They have a similar legacy to Liberia, wherein uh, free um, free black people were sent back mm. there um, after they had been for some generations either in the slave trade or or whatnot. So they came with um, the Christianity um, is the is the understanding. They came with the first forms of Christianity, and then there was a lot of missionary activity uh, from the mainline denominations. Um, but what we've seen the interesting thing in Sierra Leone is in around the 80s and 90s, especially the 90s, when the war came and missionary activity pulled back, then you see an indigenous movement, which was a, 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 a Pentecostal charismatic movement, wherein it was Sierra Leoneans without um, uh, mentorship or sponsorship from uh, foreign missionaries, um, come, uh, starting churches and fellowships and ministries uh, uh, of themselves that were purely Sierra Leonean. Um, so these are, um, these are still going on now. And most of them uh, are still in the first generation in, in Sierra Leone that have no ties to um, any uh, foreign organizations that are purely founded by Sierra Leoneans. Um, wow. So 
Yeah, so those are the the uh, Pentecostal and charismatic churches that you'll see a lot in Sierra Leone, and we we really support um, that style where it's Sierra Leoneans um, uh, really pastoring their own churches uh, versus uh, uh, following a model um, that was uh, developed by by foreigners. Uh, so that's what right. the landscape is in, in in Sierra Leone right now. Yeah, and I, th I think it's, 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 it's very, something that's very important, and I think we've been learning this for the past uh, few years, and it's been something, like, very deep, like, in our hearts, you know, the reality that every church has an assignment, like, God has not called churches to all look alike, sound alike, mm -hmm. or anything, but yeah. that, there, that there's a need, every, every church has a niche, every church has a, a specific assignment from God, to speak mm -hmm. to a specific uh, group of people, even within the nation, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, we might think that, oh, because it's church, it should all look mm -hmm. alike. And that's mm -hmm. where we, we completely miss the mark because it's not that way. Like every pastor has a different style of teaching. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm sure between you and Peter, like you don't sound like Peter and he doesn't mm -hmm. sound like you. And you yeah. might have some similarities, but there's mm -hmm. different and there's a different yeah. style. There's a different way. And, and God loves that. He loves that melting pot of differences and, and variety. And mm -hmm. I think we forget that. We forget that it was his intent for yeah. it to be different and to be able as a leader to help others understand that and build that. I think that there's such an empowerment for the body of Christ when you do that. You know, um, even uh, we're in the progress of, you know, like opening three campuses like mm -hmm. of our own you know like and that's um when you were talking about like how important for you guys is that they become like indigenous uh churches something that we you know we're always striving for is like to empower that pastor or that leader to say hey what is the vision right. that god has given you like just because you're connected with us or just because we are with you to help you and support you grow and and be a part of what we're doing. Like, we are not trying to stifle, like you said, the call of God in your life for what mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. church looks like for you based on the vision and the assignment that God has given you. And yeah. when we try to do, like, one cookie cutter, you know, style or anything, we completely rob the body of Christ yeah. of the beauty yeah. of diversity and yeah. of the beauty of... of um, difference you know and we should celebrate that instead of and i think that even um you know we all went to bible school i think that sometimes a little bit of that was missing you know <laughs> sometimes like i felt like a certain pressure that like oh if i'm gonna be in ministry like oh this is the right way and the only yeah thing. and yeah. not not even like it makes you not look at the principle but look at how it's getting done mm. Yeah, and that's yeah. when we fail, yeah. you know, entirely. Mm -hmm. So I think it's yeah. awesome what you guys are doing, you know, like empower, you're empowering not just, like you said, the indigenous people, but you are reminding the body of Christ that when God calls you and assigns you, that is like, you got it. That's, that's all that yeah. matters. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter if you speak, you know, five, seven languages, did you come from here? Did you went to school there? Like the only requirement is, has he called you? And if yeah. he has yeah. called you, 
what is the vision that he has given you and come alongside and help develop that mm-hmm. vision instead mm-hmm. of um, trumping over that vision, you know, or saying like, well, while I train you, you need to learn, become, turn your a- your DNA like me and recognize that there are people that have been assigned to like your ministry, you know, especially if you have a fellowship and mm-hmm. not every church is called to be under your fellowship. Yeah. Not yeah. every pastor is to come along, you know, there are seasons yeah. and everything. Yeah. And when we, yeah. we switch those concepts and we have a better understanding, I think we'll function and we'll benefit the body of Christ mm-hmm. so much better mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. the growth and benefit of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just uh, I wanted to ask you one more thing about Africa and then I, I wanted to um, let's see, we've got maybe 25, 30 minutes left. Uh, so I wanted to uh, maybe shift gears just a little bit before we end, and I have a question for you. But um, in so I just I wanted to know a little bit more about the landscape um, in terms of your experience with Africa and 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 the the church. Um, are there a lot of churches? Are there um, you know do we do we see new ch- new churches being planted? Um, you know, I'm, and I'm not talking about in Africa. I'm talking about in the area that you sure. know, that you're most familiar with. Uh, what is what is it looking like these days? Yeah, sure. In, in Sierra Leone specifically, the country is still considered Muslim majority. Okay. So uh, the numbers kind of fluctuate depending on uh, where you pull from, but it's around sixty or seventy percent Islamic um, on on paper. And then uh, most of the rest Christian, and then some identifying with African traditional religions. Um, so there are a lot of churches in certain areas. Um, there, some of the areas you will see more mosques, and some of the areas um, you'll see um, more maybe uh, older planted churches, like a, um, a old. Uh, Methodist mission or an old mm. Catholic mission or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it just really depends on the area you are. Some of the faith um, uh, differences are along tribal lines. So depending on the ethnic tribe that someone belongs to, they're more likely maybe to be a Muslim or to be a Christian, um, or they're more likely to, um, uh, there's a different way to relate to them. Uh, so there are some churches that are uh, I don't want to say divided, but are uh, ethnically diverse in the sense that mm-hmm. they're uh, geared towards reaching a certain tribe, um, or they might even have uh, the service wow. in, in that tribal language. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, we know we saw a lot of churches that there is a bit of tension between the Pentecostal charismatic churches, especially the independent ones okay. uh, versus uh, mainline denominations wherein when the Pentecostal charismatic movement came, the mainline denominations in Sierra Leone view it as that they took some of their members um, (laughs) when some of the people uh, had experiences uh, with the Holy Spirit and they were not satisfied with the teachings in mainline denominations and they became charismatics. And there's, I noticed uh, we experienced that a lot in interacting with uh, I, I, I'm as a chaplain uh, and a seminarian. I got used to interacting with people from all different denominations, mm-hmm. and I was kind of surprised that the interaction and cooperation was not as much so um, in Sierra Leone between evangelicals and 
uh, Pentecostals. So mm. that's that's a that's an issue as well. Wow. Yeah. Are you aware uh, whether or not so like here in the U.S. it's the the age group of we'll call them young adults, young people um, tend to kind of get lost. Like a lot of kids yeah. that grow up in the church, they go to college and stuff like that and they start their careers and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times mm -hmm. that age group of maybe like 18 to 30 mm -hmm. uh, tends to be one of the more like unreached um, you just yeah. you know, age groups uh, in the <laughs> church. And, and sort of around that age, we see a lot of people just kind of leaving the church and going out. And some of it is, you know, I grew up in this and I went to church because my parents made me and now I don't have to mm -hmm. anymore. Right. You know, some yeah. of, there's different reasons for that. Do you, does that same, is that a, I know that, and I think that that happens in Mexico, but not to the same extent that it happens yeah. in America. Do yeah. you see that trend happening in, in, you know, from what you've seen, and, and I don't know if you fully know how to answer that question or not, but like, sure. um, do you, is that a trend that you see over there as well, or is that more of a Western world kind of thing? Yeah, sure. What I, what I experienced, there is an issue, um, uh, between the urban and rural settings, uh, wherein there's a real criticism and concern about, uh, especially in Sierra Leone, of um, a migration to the urban settings. And that's mm. where um, they tend to see spiritual issues arise with the youth. So you, you will see, and the youth are more dominant, definitely, in the Pentecostal charismatic churches. The okay. mainline denominations have made that complaint uh, visible that wow. they, are, uh, they are losing their youth. Uh, Pentecostal churches won't complain of that as much, but you do see issues of youth coming from villages, uh, being attracted to the city and not having the skill set, not having, um, there's no job still, uh, but just wow. uh, at wind, winding up getting lost in that system, winding up in, in different kind of lifestyles um, because they were just not equipped to while in, if they had stayed in the villages, they, they wouldn't have starved. They have a way of life for the rest mm. of their life, yeah. but it's just not attractive. It's the mentality. It's not yeah. attractive yeah. anymore for anybody to yeah. stay in the rural yeah. settings. So that, yeah. that's that been more of the issue with the youth, uh, wherein some of those youth who wind up coming, getting in different lifestyles might still even attend church, but to actually spiritually impact them has been really challenging in, in the urban settings, especially wow when they are uh, migrating without supervision, without proper supervision, they didn't grow, if they didn't grow up in the city, that's yeah, been a challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason I ask is because something I didn't know until recently is that, is how young Africa is. Um, mm -hmm. So just, and again, I'm speaking in generalities, but the continent yeah. of Africa is the youngest continent mm -hmm. on the planet in terms of, so that age group, um, at, at speaking about, you know, um, relative to population that age yeah. group of you know older teenagers into you know mid-20s that age range there's a very very high population um you know in again in general throughout africa and so it's a really important age group and so yeah. you know i was i was curious um if we were seeing those those similar kind of trends i think that it happens like practically speaking I think that young people that have access to different things, you know, yeah. are the ones that sort of tend yeah. to 
to migrate away. If you change. if you have a car, yeah. then maybe you don't go to church anymore because you have your you can make it your own needs. decisions about yeah. where you're going to hang yeah. out on Friday night yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so it just yeah. sort of becomes this natural pull to get away when there's more independence, I guess, and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah. um it's it's and really I think, yeah, I think tradition plays in it too you know because um, we see this um, and I've seen this happen in Mexico and I've seen this as I've been you know here living here in the states in ministry here that sometimes tradition like you say like you know a certain tribe like because of where they come from or where their yeah. family has been raised they're they're you know they're more geared towards maybe become you know either muslim or go to this specific mm -hmm. type of church or anything mm -hmm. and then what happens is like you say when they have access to something else their mindset changes to where now this is not so much of a priority you know yeah and, yeah and it's unintended but it's it's like this underlying of like well i've just been doing this like i mean if you ask there are people in mexico you can ask them like why are you a catholic they wouldn't be yeah. able to answer you that question. Yeah, it's just not their family was. And, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not an issue of, like, I believe in this. This is my belief system. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll ask them th just basic things about, you know, the Catholic faith. And they yeah. wouldn't even be able to answer you. Or they'll tell yeah. you, like, oh, well, I learned that when I was in, uh, I don't even know what's the word in English, like, catecismo. And, you know, when they were seven mm -hmm. and eight and they yeah. went to the class and they learned and they passed. But it's actually not yeah. a part of who they are because it's not based on this is what i believe this is mm -hmm. part of who i am it's just an activity that i do right so like a, an example the church that we were part of when we were there for nine months was 90 percent youth uh wow. and and, wow. and and children and many unsupervised children that just yeah. will come from the neighborhood. Wow. Um, you know, so so the, the youth are yeah. yeah, the youth are there and but then the challenge for those churches um is still financial. Uh I don't I don't know that any of those youth literally have an income. Um so mm. and I when I say youth youth is a broader term in Africa, uh, you're your youth until you're you're married with kids. That, yeah, I so was it's say most that. of them <laughs> yeah. That's probably also yeah. culture different because in Mexico it's like that. Like you're yeah. considered young until you leave home. And actually in Mexico, you don't leave when you go to college. You are in yeah. college and you're still living at home. You're still living yeah. in the same city. Right. You you move out of your city until you are actually married and there maybe it's a requirement for work. And there's mm -hmm. this underlying expectation that, you know, like if you grew up in this church, like you're going to get married, have your children, live your whole life and die at some point <laughs> part, being a part of this church. And that's yeah. not even realistic, you know, because yeah. again, yeah. if we're just looking at the church as, you know, like this is a social club. This is just mm -hmm. uh, something that you do on Sundays. This is something that your family does. You know, this is your mm -hmm. religious obligation. Then people actually don't value church or don't value to believe in God the same way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then what is an issue of this is what I believe. Like, this is part of who I am. I come to church not because I need to be fed. Yeah. Again, there's nothing wrong if you need to be fed and the church is providing yeah. for it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I don't come to church because this is what my parents do and I don't have a car. So there's no other option for me. Like, no, it's it, it's it's a priority in your life mm -hmm, because you mm -hmm. have encountered God or you've had you have come to realize, like, I need someone to guide me in my life other than, mm -hmm. you know, my culture, my mom and dad, like, you know what I mean? Like there's, 
when there's that transition, I think, and in, in, in the youth or the young age, that's yeah. where the, that important transition takes place to say, mm -hmm. okay, for so long, mom and dad believed in me, but now it's my time. And now yeah. I need to yeah. learn, like, make the choice. Like, what do I believe? What is my value system? What is important for me? And when there's those formative years, I think the formative years are not just when you're, you know, getting out of diapers and learning to talk right those are some mm -hmm. formative years at the early stage of your life but you yeah. do still have formative years as you're growing from uh, a teenager to become a young adult when you become from a young adult to becoming you know like a, a i'm not gonna say a full adult but you know like mm -hmm. a husband or a wife like yeah your theology your belief system has to evolve and change And I think, unfortunately, there's there's a, a lack of understanding and a, a lack of help in that area. Yeah. So like you say, maybe you guys get a lot of children that, but the need, it's bigger than the resources that are available to yeah. help. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so how did the churches deal with that, like with having to... Uh, having such a young because like you said I mean being young is such a broad concept you know like you're young until you can take care of yourself but some of these children they don't mm -hmm. even have like you say somebody to guide them yeah and I see the pastors taking on a lot like uh, to be a pastor over there you're, you're likely yeah. going to have uh, have other people living in your home you're likely going to be feeding and taking responsibility For a lot of people who are not your relatives so the pastors take on that parent role for a lot of people yes. but at the same yeah. time um you can only do but so much if they still a lot of these are coming if their parents are still muslims if their parents are just not saved or whatever um there's only but so much you can do and they're, they're going back uh to their house most of the week um to to that environment so You know, it's just through a lot of prayer and fasting and uh, continued discipleship that they just hope for their best. But they, they're really open to having the youth involved, uh, very involved in the services. And I think that's a yeah. strategy they try to employ mm -hmm. to try to involve them, yeah, integrate awesome. them in, in the life of the church so that they, they hopefully, by the grace of God, it stays. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm connected with so many pastors um over in in different parts of africa and i see similar trends in uh, like india and bangladesh and and uh, mm -hmm. you know some some um, some countries in asia as well and i'm connected with so many pastors and i i get like messages all the time about you know all these the just the need have. the need yeah. you know yeah. can you give yeah. can you help can yeah. you support like you would just Finances. want to yeah. you wish you could just help everybody and yeah. it's just not realistic yeah. I also yeah. find that a lot of churches um, at, have orphanages as well. Mm -hmm. So like the churches and because, you know, I'm assuming because of what you're talking about, there's so many kids and there's so many young people and maybe there's, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know, it just, um, but yeah, like a lot of the churches are running, not just churches, but orphanages as well. And so there's so much need and there's so much work to be done and yeah, yeah. it's a totally uh, different animal to be a pastor 
in that part of the world, um, mm -hmm. again, speaking in generalities, than it is for, you know, us over here. here. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I think that um, something that a lot of people don't understand is that when you are a pastor or a minister in a, in a ministry that is not able to provide care for the pastor in terms of, like, finances, because the need of the ministry is bigger and there are pastors in, in Africa and other countries that, you know, when they get something, some sort of yeah. help, their first instinct is not even to take care of themselves and their families, but it's actually to take care of the body. And it's yeah. not that there's no um, resources. I, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that giving in, in, in that setting, it's a different, it's different. Like people mm -hmm. give, it's not that they don't give because I remember mm -hmm. I was having this conversation with somebody and they were like, well, you know, like here in America, I guess we're used to like, well, we have this understanding that in church, you know, like 10% of the people actually volunteer and 10% mm -hmm. of the people actually take care of the bills of the church, right? you know, yeah. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there's a difference mm -hmm. in like yeah. Sierra Leone and that because it's not that people don't give. They, yeah. uh, they most likely do give, but sometimes their resources are scattered. So it's yeah. different. So the need is way bigger than yeah. sometimes the resources that are available at hand. So creativity probably has mm -hmm. to come in, you know, to be able to allocate the resources. What, How is best mm. used? You know, and I think mm -hmm. that's why mm -hmm. a lot of churches, you know, decide like, hey, let's let's do an orphanage let's provide mm -hmm. a school let's do yeah. because all of those are like yeah. outlets and yeah. creative outlets in which they can uh use the resources to yeah. actually be able to reach out to that many yeah yeah that's what uh that we really are seeking and have the goal for our churches to be self-sustained eventually because we think that um uh, as much as we'll, we'll be happy to give and sponsor uh, a ministry fully forever, we think that still speaks to um, the the issue of kind of um, imperialism and yeah. and mm. the church yeah. is not really truly being indigenous. Like that still oh. puts somebody dependent on you. Right. Yeah. Um, so so our some of our ideas and the things that Bishop wants to do is to have the churches also have businesses, um, whether yes, they have yes. taxis um, or different uh, different ways for the churches themselves to generate income that would yes. take care of the pastor, that would employ members and take care yes. of, of some of the needs in the church. Mm -hmm. So we think that mm -hmm. would be a better strategy than uh, to, to work just on those long-term things than just yeah. sending offerings, which was yeah. appreciated, you know, but it's still, sure it still kind of speaks that same message that we're, we're mm. taking care of you. Uh, yeah. We don't want to do that forever. Wow. Exactly. And I think that's a mm -hmm. great, a great approach because I think that, the, that the danger is that when something that is meant to be temporary to help build in becomes, like you say, something that you're like depending on like forever. Mm -hmm. like God, I'm, I'm not, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that that's how, um, you know, when we look at Jesus, you know, like, they were already fishermen, you know, and he says, like, I'll make you fishermen of men. But even in that mm -hmm. concept, like they already know, knew how to get food for themselves and stuff. So now he came in and taught them the other principle of, ca you know, caring for their fellow men and stuff. But you have to teach 
and yeah. help the people in power. And I think sometimes with the misconception of missions is that you don't teach certain things for missions. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. go into the mission field, you don't talk about finances in this way, or you don't talk about yeah. this because unfortunately sometimes they think that the, the, the nationals or the indigenous people maybe don't understand it or something, yeah, yeah. but then they, mm -hmm. that creates and empowers that culture that you're always depending on someone else instead of empowering them mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, become prosperous. Like, yeah. what is wrong with them becoming prosperous, with them being able yeah. to provide for their families? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We yeah. should teach them. Yeah. We should teach them how to have businesses, you know, and change their perspective that just because maybe you live in an impoverished area that you should always remain that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, there are ways yeah. that you can come out of it, you know, or that if there's a help, like, you know, I don't know, like uh, kitchen soups or things like that, that people become mm -hmm. those ministries that are parachute ministries that are meant to help people temporarily become yeah. permanent. There's such a danger in that because mm -hmm. then instead of actually equipping and edifying the body of Christ, yeah. you, you're paralyzing it. Mm. Yeah, and I wow. think that the Lord really knew what he was doing, that it giving me um, a husband who's African, that it instilled that deep respect wherein I'm really aware of that. Like if if I, the, the picture of me, uh, you know, giving out food like a soup kitchen, like to, to men there, I just see my husband and it just feels like I'm treat, treating them like children, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. as much as we want to send aid, there's a way to do it wherein they have the, the their dignity and their respect, you know? Yeah. So, wow. so I, I think if you'd not, if you don't uh, uh, really put yourself in someone's shoes, then you're, you know, it's yes. easy to kind of be flippant about, about things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's so, so, critical for us to understand that because i mean yes the bible does say that you know we will have the poor that there will be poor people but that doesn't mean that people should remain poor you mm -hmm. know like when we find people that are dealing with poverty whatever in whichever area because poverty is not just um in terms of finances and i think mm -hmm. that sometimes that's a misconception poverty mm -hmm. could be even a, a poverty of understanding you know there there could be a poverty in in the value system and mm -hmm. we see that, you know, like in countries that maybe have, you know, more access to technology and stuff like that. Right. But they're yeah. impoverished in their value system. Yeah. They're impoverished mm -hmm. in different areas. And we are called to to come and bring. And I love the story of, you know, like when Jesus multiplied the the bread and the fish, you know, he provide. Mm -hmm. And and I think people sometimes get so short sighted with that story to think like, oh, well, he multiplied the food and the multitudes kept following them. But we forget that I can guarantee you there were people in that multitude that still went back home. They went back. They learned something while they were at the feet yeah. of Jesus and they mm -hmm. took whatever they learned and went back to their village and were able to prosper and have a good mm -hmm. life wherever they went. So yeah. the multitude changed continually. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. you have the same people, you know, getting saved every Sunday when you have the same people coming every time to ask for aid in, in their finances. And as, as the body, we're not empowering them. We're not asking questions. And we're just, um, you know, reaching out of our pocket to give you something, to give you something. It, we're not benefiting you. 
you know, yeah, there's times yeah. where as a pastor, you have to ask the, the hard question, you know, like, okay, what is this is the time, the third time you're coming to ask for help? What's going on? Yeah. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Like, what is mm -hmm. happening that you are having this need so consistently? Mm -hmm. Where where is it the, the the change of perspective that I need to help you actually gain so that you don't depend on me? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that, you know I, I just don't think that that's what Jesus intended when he <laughs> sharing God. Yeah. Like he wanted yeah. people to to be made whole. Like yeah. even when yeah. you look at the story of the woman with the issue of blood, mm -hmm. why was it important for him to make her whole? Because yeah. if, he, yeah. if he had just healed her but not made her whole, then she would mm -hmm. still need him. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's we we can just look at the ministries and church and even all those you know parachute ministries and missions as forever i think yeah. that there's a season there's a when the need is necessary it's good but even helping um the the indigenous people you know to be able to like i said prosper and grow and gain understanding and change they prosper and as they prosper those around them will prosper as well so you yeah. become actually an influence not just in the religious circle but you actually influence every area of yeah. society you influence mm -hmm. school because you you know um you don't know who's sitting listening on sunday and yeah yeah what what change and transformation is actually you know inside that person that when they grow when is their turn to do something, yeah. why would they change? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I love what you're saying, Larissa. You were saying a, f a few minutes ago about just like creative solutions. And, um, you know, God is so good. He's so faithful yeah. and he knows what we need. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think so often like the, the typical, maybe traditional missionary mindset has been, yeah, like I need to go here and I need to like have a continuous presence and they need to be dependent on me. <laughs> and of course, like in, the in intentions are probably mostly mostly good. They're probably not yeah. as bad yeah. as I'm making it sound. But, you know, intentions are one thing, but what it actually creates long term, uh, you know, is is not necessarily the best in terms of the destiny for that particular city or that particular village or that particular region or that particular um, local ch local body you know local church yeah. local ministry yeah. and so when we can do that when our role is more of um, what can I do to come alongside you and empower you so that um, you know you can reach your destiny in what God has called you to do in this region that that you're serving in and within the context of that like there are so God has all the creativity that we need yeah. and so even for these practical things we're talking about like for you know, like businesses and things to help, um, you know, generate income and generate wealth and generate more security and stuff like that. Um, I just I, I see so much more of that happening. And what you're and what you're saying um, really just resonates with me. Um, you know, just more creative solutions. God wants to mm -hmm. provide his people with yeah. creative insight, creative solutions in order to you know, bring about breakthrough change and transformation. Um, yeah. So that, you know, his he, he wants his people to grow and advance and increase and yeah. to accomplish their purpose in the earth, you know. So um, yeah. I, I, I love what you were both saying there. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, how, do you have a few minutes left or, or do we need to start wrapping this up? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask you just one more question, and I might be shooting you in the foot because this might be a big question, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can get me. I've been, I've just been thinking about this a lot lately. This pa- th- because of this past season that we've been in, this past year, which has been crazy with the pandemic and with so many things that have been going on, um, a lot of sort of darkness surrounding the world that we live in. But um, we're we're at a point now, and I, I've just been asking sort of um, you know my prophetic people like <laughs> what do you what do you see what are you excited about um, what do you see maybe sort of on the horizon for the church um, what are you sort of sensing for this next season and I uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts on that and then uh, and then we'll wrap up yeah sure for for us um, I, I've felt a more uh, especially for us small churches, I felt like a empowering and in our identity of uh, mm. feeling good about who we were. We, we would, we would joke on Sunday morning, say we're, we're privileged that we're a small church because we're allowed to meet because <laughs> the bigger churches are not meeting, you know? So it really, really instilled that identity and, and, and our own calling and my own calling that uh, was a lot of one-on-one ministry and small, small group settings and, not feeling um, bad about that, not feeling yes. uh, like we're, we're less or, or something like that. Yeah. That's been something that Bishop rang in our ears a couple years ago at our, our convocation. Um, and I just felt like I kind of understood what he was saying now that um, this is this is who it being comfortable and who God called us to be. So I see a lot of churches leaning into that and 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 focusing in on who God has called them to be, focusing in on worshiping together and that mm. the tremendous privilege that it is, and really um, kind of preparing us for maybe harder times when there will be other obstacles or discrimination against us worshiping together. So uh, kind of preparing our hearts for that and. Um, and you, you see a separation that some people, it was not a priority to them. And some people, it was absolutely a priority. And, and the Lord really convicting convicting us about that. Um, mm. So just just seeing a lot of separation, seeing a lot of, um, a lot of division, uh, division in the sense of uh, discernment with, of the word, where, where the word is discerning and separating and really making us kind of choose a side on a lot of things. Wow. Um, and, and to be on the Lord's side, um, yeah. uh, rather than any, any particular group. Um, yeah. so that's, that's where I've really, yeah, yeah. That's where I've really yeah. seen the Lord taking us. Yeah. I, th- I think it's right now it's so, so important for the church to recognize like what is the stand that we need to take in view of the scripture and in view of what he has called us to do, not in view of our opinions and not in view of what's happening, you know, um, in the political sector or with culture. And (laughs) and there's so many movements right now trying to take traction and and I think all of that and all of those voices can sometimes threaten to take over the Holy Spirit within us and, and yeah. take over, you know, God's principles over our lives. So we have to choose, like, uh, filter, you know, through the word, like you say, discern. What mm-hmm. is our stand? We do need to have a stand. Uh, I think sometimes we make that mistake to think, like, oh, well, we just have to. It's all about love and it's all about, you know, tolerance. It's all about this. And we realize that 
not having a stand on the word of God, that's what's going to could cost us more of a loss and more harm than if yeah. we take a stand of, okay, this is what it says. This is it. It's there's no gray area on it. And if there is a gray area to understand that there's nothing wrong with that either. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, navigating those those difficult conversations and not even being afraid of making correction yeah Mm -hmm. and hearing god as he's moving you know um and helping also i think our the body that we are assigned to to understand that just because you hear one voice you know more loudly or speaking on a public platform that that doesn't Mm -hmm. represent you know all Christians mm. or that, yeah. that doesn't represent all evangelicals or different yeah. things like that. That's so critical and important in this time and season. Yeah. And I'm the first to say like um, where you talk about taking a stand on God's word, I'm the first to say, okay, I can discern theologically. Is that right or wrong? But politically, I don't know what we're supposed to do about it legally mm. politically i'm maybe not skilled enough and i don't understand the whole system enough to say so who do we like i i'm the first to, to kind of uh can you guys still hear me yeah yep yeah, yeah did you get a phone call a <laughs> uh your your volume went down i think it's because oh. my uh, my my headphones here um okay. yeah we're good I'm the first to 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 admit that, um, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. We get ourselves in trouble if we align too strongly with something outside of the Word of God. Um, uh, yeah. You know, some pursuits are noble, uh, groups are noble, but um, in the end, our allegiance has to be um, yes. as a believer and as the yeah. Word of God. Yeah. Before, um, you know, our cultural, uh, racial, political identity, um, it has to really be the, the allegiance has to be to the word of God purely. Yes. Yeah, so good. Awesome. So good. Yeah. I, I remember, I think this past year, you and I have like maybe commented on some similar threads and, and stuff like some things on, on social media and it got yeah, so what's wrong with it, our friends. Some of our I don't friends, know, I don't man. Know. It got so messy this past year with exactly what you're yeah. talking about and allegiances yeah. just being so misaligned in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that was like the biggest trumpet that I was bro- blowing this past year of like, yeah. hold on, Let's make sure that our allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom, first of all, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, not some mis- misinterpreted, misunderstood or version of what we think that's supposed to be. You know? Biases. Yeah, exactly. Our, our blind biases. Yeah. Because sometimes, the, I mean, I, this happens to me a lot. I don't know. Maybe it happens to, to you guys. But when I, especially in social media, like you read certain things and there are things that sound so eloquent and so spiritually sound. But then when mm-hmm. you actually filter them through the word of God, you realize, hold on, this is not even biblical. Like this yeah. is, you know, like pledged with culture or a, politi- a, 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 a political view or something like that. And you have to stop and discern that. You can't just like jump on the wagon and be like, oh, yeah, this sounds so spiritually sound and it's great and it's everything. And realize that it's violating, you know, principles that are important to God. Mm. There are certain issues that yeah. are life or death. Yeah, they yeah. are. There are mm-hmm. certain issues where there might not be life of death. So if you believe this and I believe this, it's not going to create, you know, danger for either party. And that's mm-hmm. OK. But mm-hmm. if we treat everything as a life or death, yeah. we, we hurt each other. Yeah. yeah. 
when we have mm -hmm. that mentality and we don't realize how like how easy it's for the enemy to come in and create division and mm -hmm. when we create division and we're part of the body of Christ we're harming the body of Christ more yeah yeah mm. well all right well we got to run we got to get out of here um so uh thank Great. you pastor Larise. really appreciate yes. you thanks for your yeah, thanks thank for you carving guys. out some some time for this really appreciate that uh denise thank you or no, pastor denise you. i don't know but, <laughs> but uh yeah yeah thank you thank you both thanks everybody for checking out uh real live talk appreciate you guys this episode will be uploaded later on today to the podcast platforms like spotify apple podcasts etc uh, you can find it at redcircle.com slash shows slash real live talk. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with our next episode on Thursday afternoon. So um, yeah, well, have an awesome day. Thank you again, Larissa. Really appreciate you. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Love you, guys. Love you, too. Thanks again for catching this episode of Real Live Talk. For future reference, new episodes are released live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube every Monday and Thursday. And uh, these podcasts are uploaded later on to Spotify, Apple, Google, and most of the major podcast platforms out there. If you haven't done so already, if you'd consider subscribing. And uh, if this episode blessed you or added any kind of value to your life in any way, if you're looking for a way to support the channel, you can do that again by subscribing, also by sharing and leaving a review. Thank you so much. Hope you have a blessed day.